Hey everyone, welcome to our series covering the book of Hosea. Before we jump in, we wanted to offer a quick word about the sensitive nature of this book. Hosea is full of really intense imagery um, and often pretty sexual imagery. So if you're listening with your family or with kids, you might want to be a little careful. Yeah, we're not going to get crazy explicit, but you just might want to use discretion when uh, diving into this book with us. But we're excited to preach Christ out of it and go through the book of Hosea with you. Here we go. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seth, we are in the book of Hosea today, right? That's right. Yeah. So why should we care about the book of Hosea right now? Well, oh man, Hosea (laughs) is a crazy book. And I think it's because it kind of proves in the most, I think, visceral way that we've studied, at least together, the extent to which God is willing to go to save a sinful people. Mm. And that's because he frames our sinfulness as like sexual infidelity, as whoredom. He just, he just, Hosea will call us whores. And God, what's on the line is, um, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still whores, (laughs) Jesus marries us. Yeah. That might sound a little intense to a lot of people. It will. (laughs) I think, like, I don't think whore is a word that Christians normally throw around. No, it's Uh, not. At least not since the Puritan days. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, even in this book, there's a, uh, at one point, <laughs> I don't even know if I should say it on the air. One of the sons that Jose, one of Hosea names one of his sons, you are not mine. Right. He's like, you're a bastard. Like, oh, that's right. the name of his son. Yes. And it's a really intense book. It's meant yeah. to shock. It's Israel. a very intense book. I think, and that's one of the things I think that you take away from this book is you just first read it. It's a shocking book, not just in the graphic details of it, but in the language that it uses. Yeah. And the mercy that God shows to people yeah. that he sees as just wantonly sleeping with whoever. Right. Yeah, there's a lot wrong. of there's a lot of shocking things in the book. Like you said, the language, the vocabulary is shocking. Yes. Harlotry and whoredom, a lot of sexual language, all this kind of stuff. And then like God, we, we see like the two extremes of God. Uh we, we see that he tells people he won't have mercy. Like, I just won't yeah. have mercy. Wait, 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 what? You God promised can just me. turn that off. Like you said, you said that it would be forever. <laughs> and then he, and then he comes back and says, "I'll have mercy with you forever, and you'll never be able to get away from my mercy and my love." And it's like, Wait. what? It's a shocking book. It is a shocking book. Um, and so, um, but we have a lot, I think, in this introduction episode to set up to help people come into this book because it is using so much language that people might not be familiar with. It's referring to a lot of religious practices that people m- might not be familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's in a certain like period of Israel's history yeah, right before they're about to go into exile. And then like uh, it's pulling on uh, like themes that have been developing from Genesis one. Yep. And that, that that don't stop until revelation at the end of revelation. And so it's like, it's really cool. It's a big book. And I think it's unique among the minor prophets in that way. Uh, Why do you think it's unique? Uh, it's really, I mean, it, it not, no book in the Bible highlights harlotry, spiritual harlotry, like Hosea does. So it's Jeremiah in, gets close. He does. And I, but, that's because yeah. Jeremiah and uh, Hosea probably knew each other. Yeah, right? and Ezekiel also gets mm-hmm. close. But in terms of regularity... Yeah, Hosea... And <sighs> nobody else married a harlot yeah. in that way, you know? So Hosea just kind of stands alone. You showed your hands there. I did, so but you know. Not everybody thinks that, it will get to that in the podcast, but we like, will. it's yeah. interesting. And I chose my word carefully. Harlot. Uh, yes, I didn't say prostitute. prostitute. So We'll get there. We'll get there. Get there. But uh, anyway, so a lot to, to dive into, and we're going to try to help you guys digest all this. So with all that on the line to set up yeah. these categories, Seth, where should we start? I think we need to start with like, what is prophetic literature? Oh, the, okay. Because I said minor prophets and some people right, are yeah. like, the what? Yeah, this yeah. is actually our first prof, prophetic, prophetic book, book to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, unless you count traditional Jewish categories. Which would include the Book of Kings. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, but yes, in the Protestant canon... 
Yeah, and yeah. even just the idea of a singular person yeah. s- saying oracles, saying things yes. that are meant to bring about judgment or yeah. God's mercy. Like 99% that. of the book is just a, the prophet talking. Yeah. And so it's just, we're not used to reading that kind of... It's not a narrative. Yeah, we're not used to reading that kind yeah. of literature. It's, so, a, it's a collection of speeches. Yeah. yeah. So prophetic literature then, what 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 is it and maybe and what is it not? Yeah, so I think it's helpful. A prof- well, maybe start with like what is a prophet? Yeah. So a prophet, we kind of think of a prophet as like a fortune teller, like yeah. somebody who tells the future and see into the future and knows what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not generally the way the Old Testament saw what a prophet was. No. Uh, primarily, a prophet was somebody who interpreted the law for a new generation. Yeah. Or um, that. Or like, like could, they like they told they told it like it is with God's yeah. stamp of approval. You could also even call them like a like a, an enforcer, yeah. of God's law. Yes. So Hosea is essentially holding Israel to account to the ways it's wrong God's law back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And like what you'll see throughout the book is Hosea bringing up um, incident after incident of Israel's sins, breaking the commands back from. Uh, Deuteronomy and Le- Leviticus. Right, he's saying, remember that command? You broke it. Remember broke- that command? You broke it. And he's saying, now you should expect what God said you should expect. And he goes on and lists several of the curses listed back in Deuteronomy 28 and mm-hmm. Leviticus 26? 14. I forget. It's in my notes somewhere. I'll <laughs> but find yes. it in a second. So, so a prophet um, is enforcing God's law, mm-hmm. trying to tell people like, don't you know you're breaking it? Yes. Here's what's going to happen if you continue this right. w- in this direction. And what made the prophets unique was like they're meditating on God's law. They're realizing God's people are breaking it. And then they also have one like eye to the law, uh-huh. but they also have a, the other eye to the geopolitical situation happening around Israel. So Hosea is looking at the law, seeing all the ways that Israel has broken it, and then noticing that the curses are other nations will come and overthrow you. Your vines won't give fruit. This will happen, and this mm-hmm. will happen. And then he's looking at the world around himself and says, okay, Israel's currently making treaties with Egypt and with Assyria, and they're trusting this nation. Israel, I can tell you it's going to happen. Yeah. Because you're breaking God's law, Assyria is going to come and attack you and decimate you. That treaty you made with Egypt they're going to stab you in the back. Right. How do I know this? God's law said it. And I'm right. just saying it for this new generation because <laughs> you need to know. Yes. So, I mean, and I think it's an interesting point. Uh, the I, I think it took me a long time to realize how political the prophets are. And, you know, the, I mean, that, and that's how they started. Like, like the office of prophet in the Bible has always been deeply political. Yeah. Uh, so much so that it was, the, it was a prophet of God who first inaugurated and anointed the first king of Israel. Yeah, like, Samuel. Yeah, they've always been deeply and linked. And even, I think the first like prophet-type character we meet is actually Balaam in the book of Numbers. Oh, yeah, if you exclude Moses. If you exclude Moses, but Balaam was a pagan prophet, Yep. and the kings of the world would hire him for his wisdom. Right. He would familiar with sacred text. He was familiar with the world around them, and he was trying to interpret world events through the spiritual lens and yes. give them advice. That's like prophets. Am I am I going to win this battle? Yes. Yeah. Prophets were always part of like the political elite's cabinet. Yes. Like in this day, definitely. And so Hosea would have been close to the kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, verse one, the word of the Lord came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Uh, the kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So political lineages right at the beginning. Right. He's like, yep. what was Hosea doing? He was advising all these kings. <laughs> right. at so that, some that's point. a helpful way yeah. to think about the office of a prophet here is is um, a, in the king's cabinet. Yep, that's exactly right. And that's helpful. Yeah. So something else you said, though, about what a prophet is that I want to pick up, because I wonder if some people out there are thinking this, is you were like, so a prophet is someone who interprets the text, sees what's happening, they look at the world around them, they interpret it, and they say like, oh, I can put A and B together. I'm not an idiot. Yes. This is clear what's going to happen. I thought a prophet knew that because God told them. Yes, (laughs) that is true. Uh, and it both are true at the same time. Well, God is speaking through his word. Yeah. They were experts in God's word. So God was speaking through his word, but also throughout the prophetic literature, you have visions. Yeah. Like Isaiah has a vision of God's throne room. Hosea actually does predict things that the law probably wouldn't have led him to say unless he was directed by some extra measure of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. guiding him things to say. Yes. So like one example is like, it's pretty clear that an invading army will come and destroy Israel if they break God's commands. That's what Leviticus and Deuteronomy say. Yes. He, 
that's what a plus b equals c guys yep. like that's that's <laughs> everybody it, right? else was just too blind to see it right yeah. and the, or they had forgotten god's law forgot this was the natural consequence yeah. or thought they could get out of it they we'll talk about get that out of it yeah uh, but he says one thing uh, in verse uh, in chapter three, where he, he doesn't just say that Assyria will come and take you away, but he he also says that you're going to go without sacrifices, you're going to go without kings, you're going to go without ephods, like which is like what the priests what the wore. Priests wore. He's like you're going to go into a place where there will be no more way for you to access God's presence. Right. Which, if you remember, like Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Ezekiel, like the people around him thought that removal of like access to God's presence in the temple was impossible because it's God's house. Yes. Yeah. So like he's predicting things that he couldn't know right. necessarily. And we'll get into his his actual prophetic oracles yeah. later on in the, pro, the the podcast. But your point stands. Yes, he's reading the law and interpreting and putting A plus B guided by the Holy Spirit. But the Lord's also downloading him information he should not know right. on his own. Which is why one of the key um, indicators of prophetic literature we see in Hosea, which is, and God came and said to him, and then God said to him, yes. and then God said to him, and then the Lord spoke through him. Yeah, and it's they are prophets are also the mouthpiece of God. They hear what God says and then report what He has said. Yes, and they're exactly not necessarily right. trying to interpret what God says, but saying what God has said. Yes, it's uh, how to, uh, it's a, a human report of a divine revelation. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Uh, so yeah, the, both of those functions are happening in the mouth of the I prophet. like that blending. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've thought of it that concretely before. That like, I like, uh, one reason I like that is I feel like the like spiritual lineage of the prophetic is something then I can like step into by meditating in God's word. Yes. And looking at the world around me and prayerfully asking God what's going on. And, well, and it's not, because I, I feel like a lot yes. of people when they try to like get in line with the prophetic how can i hear the voice of god yeah well, yeah that definitely that and i think that's like more like maybe yeah like where we would come from mm-hmm. but i think a lot of other people are like how do i get in line with the prophets i need to predict what's going to happen mm-hmm. next or when's the end of the world or yes, yes, yes. and it's like no like the prophets are less concerned about predicting you know armageddon and they're way more concerned with calling people to repentance yeah that's right prophets every prophet <laughs> is yeah. repent yeah, if you return, the word return is used 23 times yeah. in the book of Hosea. Like it's Hosea is calling his people to repentance, mm-hmm. not proving he can tell the future. Yes. And I also think what you were saying, like even just our own desire to hear God's voice, but think how intimately linked an expert knowledge of God's word is with recognizing when God is speaking to you. Totally. So Hosea yep. is told by God to go and marry a, uh, a, a woman of whoredom. Yes. <laughs> a woman of whoredom. And he's like, that's breaks a lot of my categories of what I should do as a man. How do I know right. that's from God? My guess is he intimately knows God's voice because he's intimately studied God's word right. for decades and decades. That's the way you know when you mm-hmm. hear God's mm-hmm. voice is because you're intimately familiar with the words of God. Yep. Anyway, that's yep. a side note. Yeah, I, I've always thought about like my sheep hear me because they know my voice, John 10 stuff, you mm-hmm. know, as like, okay, I need to train myself to understand when God is talking in my subconscious or it's my inner thoughts which one's God's voice yeah and it's like no the better way to train yourself is have you been listening to God's word in yes. the Bible yeah anyway I'm just not that's just really helpful for me I can't tell you how many teenagers have come to me like yeah. well how do I hear God's voice about college I'm like well I don't care about that have <laughs> yes. you read your Bible today right do you, do you know what God's voice sounds like at all yeah and then we can worry about whether or not you should go to Philadelphia for college like nice. anyway that's helpful. Uh, anyway, a little sidetracked. A little sidetracked, but good. But that's it. And even on the, going back to the interpreter of the law thing uh, as a prophet, yes. uh, you really should go back and read the covenant curses that God pronounces that's, over Israel yeah. and uh, Deuteronomy. It's good background uh, for this book. 28 uh, and Leviticus um, 20, not 21, uh, Leviticus. Why I keep, I keep forgetting where in Leviticus? It's in my notes, but I can't find it. We'll find it for you guys and we'll tell you in a second. But 20 of the 27 curses that are listed in Deuteronomy 28 are repeated here in Hosea. Mm. Like if you, if you don't have that in the back of your mind, it's going to be difficult for you to engage in Hosea as prophetic literature uh, or as Hosea as an uh, interpreter of the law. Okay. So then that's a bit of prophetic literature. Yep. Uh, people who are familiar with the law, who hear God's voice, calling God's people to repentance. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. There you go. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. I was right the first time. Okay. I did say that. There so you go. Just... So uh, what else is going to be really helpful for us as we step into Hosea? We've got like, okay, what is the genre of a prophet? How do, And like reading prophetic literature, mm-hmm. I think like, I think a lot of people come to reading prophetic literature and they're like, okay, so 
like what does this mean about the future right and i think that's the wrong question to ask of the text yeah i think hosea is speaking to a particular people at a particular time mm-hmm. and he's saying that these people you should expect i mean hosea's message is you should expect divorce right you should expect destruction for the way in which you have committed adultery in your marriage to the lord and he really doesn't offer a ton of hope. He lists all of the ways in which they failed. And then when he does offer hope, he actually never offers it to that generation. It's always some future hope, right. way in the future that's yeah. unnamed. So the way, the first way that you should think about prophetic literature, especially the book of Hosea, is these are the messages to a people who have committed such terrible adultery that they don't have a hope of coming back into God's, king, God's right. presence. Yeah, I think like, I think a a helpful thing I'm trying to think like broad strokes when you're, when you're reading prophetic literature is like not when will this tell me Armageddon's coming, you know, but what does this tell me about the character of God? Mm -hmm. Like that's every book in the Bible is a theology book, which means like, how does this teach me more about God? And here we see God so deeply loves his people that whenever like they break covenant with him it's like a divorce yeah and that and we're going to see how he responds both with judgment but then with severe mercy <laughs> so anyway okay yeah, i think if you yeah. like to, just to put the finest point mm-hmm. on that like don't come if you spend want to spend time studying the ways in which hosea predicts the future great spend more time focusing on the idea that god is a husband who loves his wife yes that's the point that hosea wants to get across that's the point. not about whether or not we know the future or not. So yes. just like camp out there and yes. you'll benefit from Hosea so much more. And I think we should pa- say with that then, the reason we want to talk about what is a prophet, what is prophetic literature is because Jesus himself like fulfills prophetic literature as a genre and as like the, the, role, the role of prophet. The office of prophet. Um, Jesus refers to himself as a prophet um, often enough. And he'll repeat a lot of the same themes and even quotes from the book of Hosea during his ministry. One of the most famous things that Jesus says is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Mm -hmm. is from the book of Hosea. That's right. Um, But if someone was going to say to you, I was going to ask you the question, like, okay, how does Jesus identify himself as a prophet or why Mm -hmm. is that significant? Like, what would you say to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Jesus obviously continues the role of a prophet, right? He intimately knows the Torah. Yeah, like he's the word made flesh. Yeah, listen to him. <laughs> listen to him teach the law on the Sermon on the Mount. Like he knows God's law, and that would be a function of a prophet too. He's exactly taking that's the what law you're saying. Yep. and applying it to an, to mm-hmm. his people. He obviously hears the words of God, right? He yes. is God Himself. He is the Word of God. Not he. So he doesn't. It's not a third party to whom God is speaking that's then reporting divine revelation. He is God's ultimate divine revelation in the flesh. Yeah. So like what prophets intimated, Jesus incarnated. And mm. I think that's just that's a good like really cool. I don't know how I just made up with too. that. Yeah. I just, I just <laughs> that's really good. No, yeah. I don't. I don't even think about. I didn't think I even thought about the way in which they received the revelation. Yes. superseded in Jesus. Like the prophet was pretty sure they were communicating with the divine. Jesus is, is the, the divine. divine. I mean, it's Hebrew says it clearly. Like uh, in the past, God spoke to through us in many times in many ways through His prophets. But now in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He used to speak to us through prophets, through intermediaries, but now he speaks to us directly through himself, through his son. Like mm-hmm. it's it's different in kind completely, but it's the same thing happening. God speaking to his people, but now he's come to his people. So, but then the way G, what Jesus says as prophet is right in line with the like the prophets from the Old Testament. He he pronounces woes over his over over Israel and over unrepentant generations. He calls people to repent. What's the first thing he says after his ministry is inaugurated? Repent, repent, which the is Hosea's of, favorite word. The kingdom of God is at hand. Return, yeah. repent, and like that's what a prophet does. He tells yeah. people to return because God is going to do something in the geopolitical sphere. The kingdom of God is near, not repent for Assyria is near, right? Like Hosea would be saying, it's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and so like Jesus is doing all these things as the role of the prophet. Um, he's a, and he, he's talking about doom coming. Like yeah. he, Jesus was a doom bringer in a lot of ways, but then the, the way that Jesus um, yeah. kind of subverts that tradition is that like no prophet was ever, ever able to quell or even affect what was inevitably going to transpire in Israel. That's true. Like, I think a big part, the, the, the prophets failed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The prophets as a title to bring people back to repentance 
didn't ever really work for Israel. And I think the only way they worked was probably in the way God intended them to work, which was so that they could stand accused. Yeah. Like they were told what to do mm-hmm. again and again and again. And so yeah. like, so that God, then, yeah, that God could be seen as just. Yeah. Think about the parable that Jesus tells the tenants. Uh, of the tenants yeah. where the master sends a messenger yep. with, I'm coming soon prepare the harvest and they kill the messenger. Right. So he sends another messenger, they kill him. They send another messenger, they kill him. They're like, well, maybe they'll listen to my son. And they, they kill send, the son. And they kill the son. Like yes. Jesus sees himself as in this long line of people who were delivering a message about the coming of the king right. that people refuse to listen to. Yep. And then Jesus will be killed himself. And I love what you said, like the prophets meant they couldn't bring the reconciliation they hoped for. That's right. But in the moment that Jesus was killed, mirroring the legacy of the prophets, yep. He does what they could never do. Exactly. He actually brings the kingdom near. Yes. Yeah. He is the the prophet who both speaks of God's judgment and salvation and is the ultimate fulfillment of that very prophecy in in the cross where just where judgment and salvation culminate. Yeah, and I think even Hosea I mean all the prophets, but Hosea really intimately focuses on the need for like an intimate relationship with the Lord. Yeah, big time. And what does Jesus bring in his new kingdom? New hearts. Yeah. Like Jeremiah picks up on this, Ezekiel yeah. picks up on and this. Sonship. Sonship. Like we are intimately connected with God because of Jesus's death. None mm-hmm. of the prophets could bring us near God through their life or their death. Right. Through Jesus's death, he brings and does what the prophets had not yet done. If you've read the book of Kings, you know there's just this long cycle of kings that are not that great. They yeah. continually set up idols. They continually forget God's ways. And ignore God's prophets. And ignore God's prophets. <laughs> so Israel is in the middle of this cycle and nearing the time when the Assyrian army will come and destroy them. Right. Uh, Israel's already had a civil war and broken into two divided parts. Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom, which kind of infamously had no good kings in it. Whenever, right. If you read the book of Kings and they'll say, this king was good, this king was bad, this king was good, this king was bad. None of the good kings are ever from the north. Mm. So the, the idolatry and the adultery of Israel was concentrated in the north. Mm-hmm. And that's where Hosea is a prophet. Um, they are um, under threat of a Syrian invasion, not really because they're on the doorstep with an army, but just Assyria is a growing superpower. They're right. making treaties with Egypt um, about simultaneously with Hosea, yep. just as a way to protect themselves. They could even be sending tribute money to Assyria yes. to prevent them from attacking. Right. Also pretty significant during this time, if you read that list of kings at the very beginning of Hosea, this is actually a time of pretty significant wealth yes. in Israel's history. So yep. I think it's really significant at the time of one of the, their wealthiest times. It's their golden age. Is also one of the most idolatrous ages. Yep. And like, what does Jesus say? As one of the prophets, that people who are wealthy will have a hard time entering into the kingdom of That's God. Right. Yep. So like, there's like, there's so many parallels to draw there. Um, they also, the Northern Kingdom is also the one that set up the golden calves. Yes. So they, one of the ways that in which their northern kingdom was instituted was on adultery. Yep. Yeah, they're founded on idolatry. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what more to say about the history except without getting into some of the stuff that we'll get into in our first podcast episode. Yeah. Uh, no, it's helpful. It's helpful to just name all that. They're in the cycle of disobedient kings. They're in the, the northern kingdom built on the backs of idols. They're in a time of great wealth. And so they think it's probably due to all the idols they've been building. And, uh, and yet... Hosea comes and says, you think that you've gotten here because of your idols, but your idols will actually be the thing that causes your destruction because Assyria is coming. And so I think that's helpful to name. Um, And I I think uniquely here in Hosea, some of the other prophets like Amos will direct most of their like oracles towards the king or the leaders of Israel. Uh, Hosea really addresses it to the people of Israel. And to the priests. And to the priests of Israel. So the, the audience of this book is the religious leaders, which again, what... Jesus talked to the religious leaders yes. and the people of Israel more so than he ever did to Pilate or Caesar or, or anybody, the Sadducees. Or the Sadducees. Yeah. Like he was talking to the people and the priests. So does Hosea. 
Um, and really part of that is because they've abandoned their duties and the people have joined them in worshiping these false gods. Yes. So Baal is going to get brought up over and over again mm-hmm. in the book of Hosea. You want to talk about Baal worship just as a... Oh yeah, sure. I always want to talk about Baal worship. <laughs> so, so, it's so great. <laughs> uh, Baal is, first and foremost, Baal is more of a general term. For, mean, it can just mean master. Yeah, or master lord. lord. Yeah. And so, like, there could be Baal of Peor or Baal of this or Baal of that. And so, Baal, in a sense, it doesn't always refer to one specific false god, but uh, in, in history. Yeah. But in the Bible, it really did become focused on, um, like, the specific cult practices of the of, Canaanites, of the Canaanites and yeah. their lord who's just here called Baal. And yeah, and he has some very unique, (laughs) but also not unique, pretty ubiquitous around the ancient Near East types of practices. Uh, And and it's what, like, what was really prominent is what's called a fertility cult, which you're all really familiar with, so I won't explain it. Right, Um, perfect, moving on. (laughs) Moving on. No, um, as I'm sure some people probably, like, assumed or you've heard before is, like, Older forms of worship um, in this time would often like plead to the gods or make sacrifice to the gods to get rain to fall on their land and to like let their harvests grow well because they were so dependent on the land. Yeah, they, you know. Yeah, I've heard one person say like idol worship was their technology. Yes, like totally. How do you get the crops to grow? Well, you worship the idol. Yes. That's really helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah, like that's... exactly right. And so, so much so that like they would go and they would put an idol in the middle of a field. And hope that that idol's presence in their field would make it grow. Yep. And um, so that's that's part of the fertility cult. But then it got it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. And the infertility there, meaning like the ground, the ground taking seed in. Yes. And producing fruit. Yeah. Now that idea then gets translated uh, into human sexuality. Yeah. In what in like these fertility cults, and they would act out this same type of sowing and reaping through human sexuality. And you would go into Baal's temple, a man would go into Baal's temple, he would pay a temple fee and be given a cult prostitute, a religious prostitute, like a female priest almost. And they would have sexual relations with that woman planting in her seed seed yeah in in order that they would commune with Baal in a spiritual sense yeah. so that he would then sow seed on their earth <laughs> yeah and it gets even the kind of like even the mythology gets pretty gross yeah. because Baal is this fertility god of storms, storms. and rain yeah. so the rain is the semen right. like this is a PG-13 episode yeah, you should have guessed by that flag <laughs> this one on our description um, and so, like, the idea is, and then the earth, though, is described as his mother. Right, his womb. His womb. And so he is inseminating yes. the ground. Right. So that's what you're calling the gods to do, and you're hoping that your sex in the temple will excite the lusty god Baal mm-hmm. into doing the same thing for your land. Right, so he watches you have sex in the temple, and that makes his lust in flame, and so then he has sex with the world, basically. Right. So the reason we kind of put it so starkly, too, is because... The, the, Hosea doesn't pull any punches the, itself. Hosea is really not pulling any punches. And, like, God is not bend, like going to hide behind euphemisms. He's no. calling what he's seeing for what it is, mm-hmm. a perversion of sexuality on anybody's radar, except for them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, we t- said, like, they used the idol- idols as, like, technology to, mm-hmm. like, get the thing they wanted. Like, we don't really have, like, a subsistence lifestyle. Right. But we still, like, digitize or technolo- technologize, like, sex. Yes. Like, sex is purchases us something. It purchases us significance. It purchases us meaning. It purchases us freedom from boredom. Like, we right. still use sex the same way that Baal did. We oh, just, yes. We just call it. It's a different thing we're subsiding. Yeah, we're it's di- not our hunger for our bellies. It's something else. It's like an ex- existential dread, emptiness. Yes, like emptiness. Yep. Yeah. So, so we do the same thing. Right. We find our meaning through sex a lot of times. Yes. Like, at least like modern culture. Yes. Yeah, I don't mean you and I. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's that's helpful. Uh, did, yeah. I think that. That's clearish. That, that's clearish. So, like, that's the temple. That's the background. The religious so, background. The religious background. So, when you hear words like sow, reap, mm-hmm. bail, adultery, whoring, now you kind of know why. Like, yes. This is what was happening. Yep. And 
really significantly, it was some of Israel's kings that instituted this worship. That's right. In Israel, Ahab, Ahab, yep. Ahaz, 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 and Jezebel. Yes, were some of the first. Right. And we'll talk about them next week too. Yeah. What's this book about? Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess where you're going. Yes. I'm going to guess you'll go to the Garden of Eden. How how dare you oh, assume I mean, that? I mean, I, when have I ever, when <laughs> developing a theme, gone back to the beginning of the Bible? And I mean, I think this is a point that's kind of missed in the creation story. But the, the creation of the world begins and hits its climax in a marriage. Yes. Like the high point of creation is not really the day that God rests. It's the day that Adam and Eve come together. Mm-hmm. Like that's the high point of all creation. Yes. And Hosea gives us a really unique moment to look back at that and like, what does that really mean? Especially when God thinks Israel's committing adultery. So yes. anyway, so yeah, talk to me about yeah. That. So main theme being God as the husband, Israel as his wife, and what what is spiritual adultery. Yeah. What, what word do we want to use? Spiritual adultery, harlotry, whoredom. Well, I, I think I like spiritual adultery. Okay, I, I like yeah. idolatry because yeah. that's what it is yeah. technically. Like they're worshiping and bowing down to other idols. Right. Like, but it becomes more in the biblical story than idolatry. Yeah. And so spiritual adultery, I think, is the New Testament way to think about it. Jesus calls them adulterers. Well, then and so let's go. Let's go with, go, let's go with, with the okay. words of Jesus. Uh, he's always a pretty decent choice. Uh, one thing, too, to note um, is. Since the climax of the creation story is a man and a wife, yeah. you know, coming together, uh, it is also interesting. We talked about this back in our Genesis podcast when we did Genesis one. That the story of Genesis one was written as a rebuke against the Baal of Canaan and against oh, the false gods of Egypt. That's right. Because it wasn't like God impregnating the world or you know yes. anything like that. It was just love and creation and. That's, oh, anyway, so that. it's just like yeah. when you refer back to marriage, right. you're referring also to the creation story, which should shake off yeah. the false gods. Anyway, right. that is interesting. Like, who brings fertility, Baal or God? God, God does. Look at yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, look at creation. And and so and and so when you think about fertility too, that also takes us to marriage. So you know, God God made Adam, made the world. And then um, God gave Adam this like task to find a suitable helper for him, right? And he like goes and names all the animals, doesn't find a helper. So from his own body, God makes Eve. And then Adam takes his last naming project and he names yeah. his wife Eve. So she's yeah. the mother of many. All, yeah. Uh, of li- all living. All the living. Because her name means life. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so um, and so then God says, um, um, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And like I've really just always viewed that as like just the paradigm of marriage, and it is. It's not less than that. Leaving your parents, cleaving to your wife. Yeah, and becoming one flesh. Yes, but yes. that is also the teenage s- Seth was very excited about leaving and cleaving, <laughs> leaving and cleaving, <laughs> leave it and cleave it. <laughs> that was. Evangelical subculture was really into leave it and cleave it. Not <laughs> not the words necessarily. Well, those words. Oh. I even heard those words all the time. Oh, I never up. did. And I was like, it got me. anyway. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. That's really funny. Anyway. Anyway, but it, so it's it's not less than that, teenage Seth. But it is more than that. It's actually the storyline of the whole Bible, uh, and it is meant to set up the paradigm of God's relationship with His new creation, that okay. He is the husband. And his new creation is the bride, and his desire is for them to come to him, and he he to them, and for them to become one. And like okay. that's the storyline of the Bible, and we see it happen in the Bible. That's so. Cr- I don't think I've ever thought about like that first as like that moment in the tabernacle or in the temple is as sex or like union or intimacy, like right, or even reflecting on the. That's really crazy. I haven't thought about that or like a, a pattern that began in creation. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. So God wanted intimacy with his people. Wanted them to come, be united to him, and then go out from that intimacy into the world. That's right. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Right. So like they would come together and they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so like fruitfulness, which is what Baal offered, mm. began back with the simple man-woman marriage or God-man marriage that started in Genesis 1. And so God's like, just remember that first covenant. 
Mm-hmm. That was between me and you and you and a wife. And, you know, and so that yeah. we're all the way back there. And it's like the, the bedrock of this like romance drama that plays out throughout the whole Bible that Hosea really centers in on. That's amazing. Anyway. Okay. So then as, as the Torah develops, the first five books of the Bible develop, um, we see more hints at this. We're not, we're not really told that God is a husband until later in the biblical story, but all the themes are there. He's told, we're told that he loves his people and that he's mm-hmm. jealous for them. Like he says, my name is jealous. Yeah. And it's like, who gets, je- who gets jealous? Who gets yeah. jealous and it's good. A husband. A husband. When his wife cheats on when him. When his wife yeah, cheats he, on him. Yeah. Not jealous for no reason. Right. But like, if you're not jealous for your wife, you know, whenever right. she would like love another man, you don't love her. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so um, God's jealous for his, mm-hmm. for his wife, like a husband should be. Um, and then all throughout the law, there is this special emphasis on marital fidelity and against idol- uh, adultery, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, that's always like, they don't have sex before marriage passages. Right. You know, what you're saying is like, no, 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 that's actually like, a, a, and we, I think we talked about it we did. in you, the if, law. Yes. When you, when you read a law, you should, you should ask, yes, you should ask, what does this require of me as a moral right. virtue? But you should also ask, what characteristic of God is this trying to communicate? Because what God demands and who God is are not divorced from one another. Right. God is a God of like loving marital covenant right. unity. Yes. Like, yeah. God, God is truth. Therefore, he commands, do not lie. God wants marital unity with his people. Therefore, do not get a divorce. Yeah. And do not commit adultery. Why? Because God is not an adulterer. Right. God <laughs> is like, like, a, like, I mean, like, and like uh, Hosea blo- blurs these lines between physicality and spirituality in a way that like makes me uncomfortable, but like. God that, did it first. <laughs> God did it first. Like that physical, spiritual intimacy that God has with his people is supposed to be reflected in the way that we use our body with other people. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and that's the same with every law. Yeah. Every moral command should have its grounding in our relationship with God. Yeah. You know, like, anyway. So uh, then it's very interesting, too, that in the law as well, um, when he talks about, uh, okay, you're going to go into the land, Israel, you're going to go into the land of Canaan, you're going to take it over, and then over and over and over again, he he ta- he, ta- he warns them not to go astray. And the way he does that is through, he warns them of going through a new marriage ceremony. So he, he says, because the, the very first step that he says would be the, the, the first mistake you would make to going down the spiral into yeah. being a Canaanite and worshiping Baal right. is making a treaty or a covenant. Oh, and what's a marriage? It's a covenant. Mm. So he says, don't marry them. And then, yeah. and then, and then he even goes as so. That's like the the meta version. But then he even like sinks down on a level. national level. But then he says, and don't intermarry with them, mm. right? Right, right, right. And then have their children and worship their gods. And and so he's like, you're married to me. Right. Don't go marry them. And yes. so even like from the beginning in the Torah, the idea of worshiping other gods and um, intermarrying to your own spiritual demise was categorized as spiritual adultery, hmm. harlotry, whoredom from the beginning. Right. That's yeah. super interesting. I had on thing I thought about like the intermarriage commands are always like, what does process mean? Like yeah. what, what's going on there? It's like, well, the threat is idolatry. So don't intermarry. Cause you know, your right. wife will make you do that. Like, okay, that makes sense. Right. But it's, it's more symbolic than, cause I think that's always like the threat is that if you marry somebody, you'll eventually worship their wife. That's I've right. Don't get of, unequally yoked. Yes. Yeah. And I've always thought of like, like really like, um, mechanically, like yeah. if you're spending the rest of your life with somebody and they do all this other stuff that they believe in all these other things, eventually you're going to like go that Skew direction. That way. Yeah. But this is, that's like, okay, sure. sure. Maybe. Yeah. The real issue at hand is like, no, God is a, is a God who has made himself one with his people. And so his people are be, to be one with one another. Yes. Not with others. Not with others. Right. As a mm. physical representation of right. a spiritual reality, which is what Hosea does. He does yeah. a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Um, and then, you know, then throughout the, the rest of the Torah, you get, um, uh, there's several more instances where harlotry or, or adultery is used. It's, it's talked about in Leviticus when sacrificing to goat demons is mentioned. That's called adultery. Yeah. Sa- a child sacrifice to the god Moloch is adultery. On and on. Mm. You just kind of get these things. Uh, but um, And the thing that's told them to keep them from adultery um, in one passage is the tassels that hang from their, their garments that yeah. are supposed to remind them of God. Mm-hmm. And that would keep them from adultery. Why? 
because it would keep their hearts loving God and trusting him. Yep. And so it's this, this intimate re- reminder. And then the last thing I want to bring up on this thread before we get to Hosea is one of the most interesting cases of adultery, um, spiritual adultery in the Old Testament is not about idolatry or it's not even about foreign gods. Okay. Which is really important because a lot of us don't worship other national, you know, religious right. uh-huh. idols, you know. Yeah. But that's not all spiritual adultery can be. So if you go to the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, and you remember the priestly ephod that he had, it became Didn't he make that for himself? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah and it became and it, but it's a religious symbol and it's a it was a Jewish religious symbol. And if you don't know what an ephod is, it's just a piece of clothing with jewels on it that marks somebody as ready to enter into God's presence. That's right. And so it's like a, that is a Jewish Torah thing. Thing. It's not syncretistic. It's not outside of their religion. It mm-hmm. would feel like walking into a church and seeing a cross. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it became an idol to them. And it's, and judges says that the people hoard after it. Mm-hmm. They were spiritual adulterers toward this ephod because they began to trust it and had pride in it and loved it and God. Yeah. I think like the storyline, what you're painting is like God has always wanted wholehearted affection, undivided affection, undivided, unalloyed allegiance and love. Right. Like a husband would want from his wife. Yes. It's not, he's not asking for too much. Right. It's like you, (laughs) I think you said before we went on the air, it's like, it's not that I don't want my wife loving me more than other men. I don't want her to love other men at, at all. all. I don't care if she loves another guy a little bit. Right. It's like, I don't want she's it at 20% attracted to him. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> I'm jealous about that. And that's a good jealousy. Uh-uh. Uh, and like, anyway, and so that's what, and, and I think what, what, if I was to divide my time between a girl at Starbucks and right. my family, that's a, pr- my wife would be legitimately jealous. Even if you spent eight hours with her and one hour. Yes. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, and so I, I think, even have I think if I play video games, right. It's like, <laughs> no, that's my time, Seth. Right. My wife is amazing. And it's yes, my fault for playing video games. Yes, it is. But anyway, okay. The so point has been made. <laughs> the point. Been, so I think what to stop and, and think about here is, um, just something that we were reflecting on before we came on air as we were praying, I was just like, I don't think about God's l- love for me that way. That when I do something wrong, I think he's upset, disappointed, grieved, sad, you know, wants something better for me. You know, you can you can do it yeah, yeah. In, in varying degrees of legalistic, you know, frameworks, but I don't see him as jealous. Like whenever I do something wrong that makes gives my heart to something else, like mm-hmm. oh maybe this sexual encounter or right. or this meal or this trip will give me the satisfaction I want, even just a little bit. Right. That God is just jealous for it, me. Yeah. He like, wants me. It takes it away from the action itself yeah. and the 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 intimacy the yeah. closeness that's that's supposed to like that's supposed to be there it's not about sleeping with that person going to that person right. although that's on the table the real issue is like you've divided your affection yeah you've divided your loyalty you've spent time with someone else when you could have spent time with your spouse mm-hmm. and you made that choice deliberately and God is jealous for affection it's like yeah. that's a really powerful really powerful and emotive way to talk about sin right that I don't I don't talk about that. Sin is giving your heart to something other than God. Even a little bit of it. Yeah. Yep. I think of sin as infraction. Yes. Right. Doing the wrong thing. A legal mistake. Not loving something other than God. Right. Right. So anyway. And then God's response then is not a judge, but as a husband. A husband. Yeah. Which is, I think, and I think I maybe just the traditions I grew up in, that God as judge was one of the primary metaphors mm-hmm. through which I viewed my relationship with God and my relationship with sin. You do something wrong, you broke a rule, guilty. Right. Legitimate category to think about God. Yes. But I, I I think to potentially the harm of not seeing God as a husband, mm-hmm. at least that wasn't built out for me in the way that I would want it to now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, I just, not only is it, do we just have a different way of viewing how God thinks about us when we sin, right? Mm-hmm. As being jealous. Yeah. But it just also it makes God's love for us so fierce. It's just like he loves me yeah. so much that he gets jealous when I love something other than him. And like not jealous like, oh, I'm so mad at you. He's like, 
love me. Like, would you please love? I want you to love yeah. me. I love you. I love you right. so much. Would you love me? And I just don't, mm. I don't think about God that way enough. Yeah. And I'm just like, man. So anyway, I'm really hoping Hosea wakes yes. me up to that more. I want my, my affections, you know, stirred for that. So anyway, that's kind of gets us to Hosea, right? So Hosea, yeah. we get to Hosea and what we have is we have a bunch of people in the Northern kingdom of Israel who have loved things other than God or alongside God, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't right. matter if they loved him them more or trusted them more. Yeah. It's that they trusted and loved them at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think a very easy argument could be made that they loved and trusted them more than God. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that gets into a second theme a little bit, right? If we yeah. blend here, which is just like, what was going on in Israel? Was this like... Uh, what are you asking? Oh, there was we, we had three themes. There was one that was like... Oh, we, we talked about idolatry and adultery. Yes. So we've talked about that right. extensively. We talked about God's judgment needs a reason. Oh yeah, and then was and, and then the thought was intimacy in, over intimacy over ritual. Yeah, yeah, and so so if you we have three major major themes which we want to communicate to you. Yeah. The first is idolatry and spiritual adultery. Right. And the second is in Hosea, really uniquely, you have this desire to communicate intimacy with God over ritual obedience right. to God. So Israel, um, and when you I should say this, I meant to say it earlier when we were talking about the divided kingdom. When we say whenever you read Israel. In Hosea, it's talking about the northern kingdom. The disobedient northern kingdom. And then whenever you hear Judah, those are the two tribes in the southern kingdom where the temple is. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're pretty bad still, but had just gone under like a revival with King Hezekiah. That's right. They're 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 doing okay. They're doing okay. Yeah. Not in the long term, but anyway. For now. uh, And so um, in the north, the people were still performing all of the Jewish Torah rituals they were supposed to. Whenever Hosea comes to them and tells them that they're that like they've been ignoring God and they don't love him anymore, they're like, uh, we love offering sacrifices to God. We 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 know God and he knows us. What do you mean we've betrayed God? You know, to put it in modern terms, like, are you right. kidding me? I go to church every Sunday. What, yeah, what are you what talking you about? Like I've ignored God. He's like and so they they do the rituals right. And they and they love the rituals, you know? Uh, yeah. but they they don't have intimacy with God. And so there's that famous statement in chapter six of Hosea where Hosea says, or God says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Yeah. I want intimacy. I want covenant love. Covenant love is the word that's there. And that's the love between a husband and a wife. Yeah. Like, it's, that, it's that intimate union thing that started in Genesis. Yes. And comes with like expectations. Don't hang out with other men. <laughs> like right. the, like that type of love, mm-hmm. a wholehearted, unalloyed, single-minded devotion to one, is the thing that God wants. Right. Yeah. I don't. Do I like it when my wife surprises me with a present? Yes. But what if she only did that and she yeah. didn't love me? <laughs> like. Right. I don't want like a new video game or whatever she would right. get me. I want. I want you to love me. Now, then, do I want you to do? Th- things that show me you love me, like sacrifice, yeah. you know, for God. Yes, he commanded it. But like, don't put the cart before the horse here. Yeah, if you do all the ritual observances, but don't love God, it's not worth right. anything. First, it, First Corinthians 13. I was, I was thinking about yeah. the same thing. It's like, <laughs> uh, if I have love that and faith that could move mountains, I'm just a, cl- but not love. But not love, yeah. I'm a clanging gong. I'm yeah. noise. Yeah, I, I think he says like if I prophesied about the future and knew all these things high and low, but I didn't yeah. love God, I didn't have love. I'd have nothing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like God wants our hearts. It doesn't mean he doesn't want obedience. Right. Right. He doesn't say, I desire love and not sacrifice. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yes. just throw that out. Right. You know, uh, it's. And it, the way that yeah. worked out in Israel's history too, just to tie it back to adultery, mm-hmm. is that things that God had given them through his relationship of intimacy, like crops yes. and land, like the fertility in the land, where did that come from? It still comes from God. Right. But they're worshiping Baal for it. So there's yeah. really all these passages that like, you thought the gifts I gave you came from Baal. Right. And so you started giving him your affection and love mm-hmm. and adding sacrifices to him on top of sacrifices to me. It's like, what is going on? Of course I gave you everything. Do you remember the creation story? Do you remember the manna in the wilderness? Do you mm-hmm. remember our whole narrative? I've given you everything and now you're worshiping him for it? Right. That's Yeah. And so it's no wonder Israel loved ritual. You know, it, uh, the the rituals of Baal worship seemed to work in her favor. As she worshipped Baal and incorporated more with Baaline practices, like, they got richer. 
You know, yeah. God blessed them in spite of their Baal worship. This is, this is Israel's golden age. We said it right. in the podcast. And so yeah. they started saying like, oh, well, more ritual, more blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they doubled down on ritual. And then just the really physical, like the physicality of it. You have the men in power. They could have sex with women whenever they want. Right. And it's holy. Right. Air quotes. Yes, that air I quotes have. that but, you're doing. Yeah, like, so it's like, man, like we are looking for ways to justify our sexual experience all the time and call it fine. Like, yes. Like particularly men. Like we mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's not outside the news still. It's like, we're always trying to justify ways in which we can take advantage of people so that we can be sexually energized like this is the human heart for all of history yep. and god says it's adult spiritual adultery but more importantly than that it's a forgetting of the intimacy he desires with us right so let's tie those together then that um and i think this will hit close to home i mean like i think a lot of us can feel like ritualistic in our observance of god like we go to church we do the thing we read our bible you know, and it's like, those are good God given things like the temple, the law, the sacrifices. Those were good things that Israel was doing, but they were doing them without the love of God. And so I, it's just like Hosea offers us a challenge mm-hmm. to like ask us if we're adulterers. And that's just yeah. like, are you doing like, are you doing the marriage things, but you're not loving the groom? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying. Like, I'm. Tr- I'm going to try to make it as earthy as Hosea makes it. Oh, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. But it's like in chapter three, Hosea will have to end up remarrying Gomer. Mm-hmm. And says, "You can't sleep with other men, and I'm actually not going to sleep with you for a while until we rebuild trust." That's kind of like the yeah. implication. Um, there's a really real, like we're leaving God's love and intimacy on the line mm. when we sin, and when we trust other things. Yep. Like, there's actually real. Like, there is. And an analogy to sexual pleasure in experiencing God that we're missing out on when we choose to have something else. Yes. We choose to trust something else, yep. believe in something else. In the same way that like we miss out on intimacy with a spouse because we're chasing after it with intimacy with somebody else. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. And Jose is inviting us to want that really tactile, physical, sensual, like sensational experience of God's love by saying no to the things that we want to run to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the third theme kind of like comes after this. Yes. Is this idea that um, every time God judges his people through Hosea or promises judgment to his people through Hosea, he does two things. We've talked about it already. Mm -hmm. He first grounds it in a specific law that they've broken in the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to judge you because of this. And there is legal grounding, guilty in court. Like if if there was a divorce lawyer present, Mm -hmm. he would have had the, you know, he would have gotten to keep the kids, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It goes back to the fact that Jose is repeating 20 of the 27 curses. Like he's repeating covenant breaking Israel does and said, the consequence of this is exile. The right. consequence of this is you're no longer my people. The consequence of this is you're going to go to that nation because you did this, because you did this, because you did this. That's right. And if you go throughout it, the whole book, there is never a curse that doesn't have a reason. That's right. But then, so so that's that's really clear. Yeah. The weird thing, and it shocked me, you even told me this before I read through it. And the weird thing about Hosea is... Um, for and, and like the, the way God talks about his judgment is scary. Like, you're not my people. I'll have no mercy. Like, it's intense. And I'm like, oh, okay. And like, yeah, I see why. There's the grounding for it. But then out of nowhere, he'll just be like, but I will have compassion on my people and I will woo them back to me and I will love them with an everlasting love and all this stuff. And we're never given a reason. We're never told because they love me or because they returned or because... And we get that in some other prophets. Never in Hosea. Not in Hosea. Every punishment has a reason. Every expression of God's love never does. Yeah. It's profound. It is profound. It's like God's judgment needs a reason, but his compassion never does. Right. And the point of that is to highlight God as the best husband ever. Mm -hmm. Like God as the husband who comes to his bride when she doesn't deserve it, when she's left him yeah. and like just loves her <laughs> with f- like ferocity all over again. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things that comes up whenever God does that is he doesn't come to her and say, and then I will return my harlot bride to myself and we'll try to move past it. You know, I, you know, you think about an earthly marriage, 
mm-hmm. where it's like uh, a husband and a wife, they get married, the wife cheats, the husband um, decides to continue to pursue her. They get back together and they you know, go to a counselor and they work past the marital infidelity and they end up having a healthy marriage. It's a little different here. It's very different here because God remakes his bride hmm. into like a new spotless bride and he doesn't like he doesn't marry her again. The word they use is betroth her again. They get engaged mm-hmm. again. He proposes, and the reason why he brings it up that way is to like show that we're, it's a fresh start. Mm-hmm. It, you're a new bride. Yeah, I'm not picking up where we left off. I'm doing a new. Cre- I'm make, starting a new creation in you. Like mm-hmm. we're going back to the Garden of Eden. You know. Yeah. A- anyway, it's just like, and 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 I don't need a reason to love you like that. I love yeah. you because I love you. And that's something to me that I just like, I think that's probably one of the hardest things in my Christian walk to believe is that God doesn't need a reason to love me. God doesn't need a reason to love me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, but why? Because <laughs> God loved the world. Because God loved the world. The sinful, broken, yeah. whorish world. He loved. God loved. And loves. And like, that's just... I was listening oh. to... like he, he He's not a Christian thinker but he 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 calls himself a born again pagan i can't remember his name anyway he was talking about the character of true love and he talked about it in these terms he said like whenever you're young you love people for reasons you love them because they're beautiful attraction is based on something about them Mm. you think they're beautiful you think they're funny you think they're smart you think they're sexy whatever it is that's why you love them that's why you like them that's why you get married but as you age and all those things kind of pass away. Mm. Like nobody, nobody in their eighties is convinced the other person's sexy anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's no like you fought for decades together. Like you, there's like they, they're not funny anymore. You've heard all their jokes. They're tired. Like you're dying, but you still love one another. Why? Just because you do. Right. And he's like that type of eighty year old love is. He's like that's the purest form of love. Yeah. And God's is eternal and timeless and, and like. He can love in a way no one else can. Yeah. Because like if we if if the older we get, our love is trending toward some semblance of true love, like he's yeah. talking about here. We can love just for loving that person's sake. But like as we get older, we're like nearing toward this eternal bent or something. Mm-hmm. Then God is superseding that and forever yeah. and like loves because he loves because he can. Yeah. Forever. And it's like I don't like even I've been I've been married ten years. Yeah, I've had kids for a few a few less years than that. And it's like I think the better analogy for me is almost I love my kids for no reason. Yes, other than the fact that they're my kids. Right, they give you a lot of reasons not to love them. They give me so many reasons <laughs> not to love them. But like, why do I love them? Because you're my my daughter. Yeah. Period. Right. Um, yes. And that theme is one of the main themes of the book of Hosea. It is. And it's seen in Jesus. Yes. Have we, we, we talked about this yet? No. Well, we did. I just we quoted did. John 3.16. Well, yeah, but but like, why did Jesus die on the cross for us? <laughs> because we deserved it? While we were still whores, <laughs> Christ died for us. Yes. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for that's us. That's right. Yeah, we are never given a reason in the Gospels, are right. we? No. For Jesus' death on the cross? No. No. Out of his great love for us. Out of his great love for us. But God, rich in mercy. Yes. Because of the steadfast love, his great it, love. It him. is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no man can boast, for it is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2. Like, we are saved by grace alone because of the great love with which he loved us. Like, if you want to meditate on that, go yeah, go read Ephesians 1 and 2. That's a great place to go. Yeah. Uh, anyway... Jesus died on the cross for us, taking the judgment that was grounded in the mm-hmm. Old Testament law. Yeah. You know, and in the fabric of reality. We were whores that had broken our covenant with God. And Jesus took the punishment that the Assyrians brought on northern Israel. He took that punishment for them mm-hmm. and then gave groundless grace to a bunch of prostitutes, which is why. Jesus goes to prostitutes. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> the New was that just an epiphany at that, that moment? I just don't think I've made the explicit connection. Yeah, I was like, why is it that Jesus, during his ministry, is going to the sexually immoral right. and the, 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 the politically treasonous? Yes, Mary yeah. Magdalene. Yes. Yeah. Oh. That's to show heart. us that... His heart is for those... Who have, like, broken his. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man, it's the Book of Hosea, okay, guys. Okay, well, I'm excited to keep going on this. So, yeah, that's the Book of Hosea. We'll dive into more yeah, specifics we'll do later. Cha- next week, we'll be in chapters one to three, mm-hmm. and that kind of gets to the center, like the center metaphor, yep. central metaphor S- yes. for the whole book. It's whoredom and marriage. Yep. And we'll talk about all the complicate, co- complexities there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see you next week in Hosea one to three. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.